Hey, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. We thank you for this opportunity we have to think about your word, to think about the things that are found in your word. And we ask that as we look and as we study, your spirit would be working in our hearts and uh, causing us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so very much for all that you've given us. Uh, and we ask that we would uh, walk by the power of your spirit and glorify you. We thank you so very much. And in your son's name, we say, amen. So on February 14th, around 9 o'clock, Ezra and I ran into Rite Aid. I'm not going to tell you why we ran into Rite Aid on February 14th. You can guess. It may rhyme with lard and handy, but um, no, I... We, we, we already had gotten Krista a gift for Valentine's Day. It was a second gift, and we got her the biggest Valentine's Day card I think I've ever seen. It was hilarious. We gave it to her in the car. She couldn't even open it up fully. It was great. No. Anyways, so I was there. We were buying stuff at Rite Aid, and uh, the lady asked if I had a rewards card, because if I had the rewards card, then I could get rewards. And I said, well, that... That's very appropriate that the rewards card would give you rewards. And I thought about it, and I remember even when I worked at a grocery store, uh, there was a special rewards card that we had that there were select items throughout the store that if you had your rewards card, you could buy 10 of these items for $10. It was a great deal, especially around the time of like the Super Bowl because that was when all of the good food was 10 for 10. Uh, It was good. And normally when we think about those reward cards – Right? We think of, I do something and then I get something back. Right? It's a reward. I, I get a reward for shopping at the store and carrying my re- membership card. The question that I've, I've, I've thought as we've gone through the book of Proverbs, and th- this morning you're going to see exactly what, I, what I'm thinking, is it's interesting how Solomon talks about wisdom, and he talks about the reward of wisdom. The, the benefits of wisdom, the rewards of discernment. It's not like a rewards card where you, you show the card and then you just get something back just for being there. Th- these rewards are, are benefits that just naturally come from doing things the way that God asks you to do them, right? It, it's looking at the world and saying folly leads to destruction. God's way leads to life because it leads you to him, and life is found in him. Not only that, but then there are these temporal benefits. We, we don't do these things for the temporal benefits, right? I, I, don't, I don't do good works simply because I, then I can get a temporal benefit. But there are times when I am tempted to do the other, and the temporal benefit does persuade me to do the good thing, right? So, so it's not completely useless, This morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the rewards of discernment. And we're going to be in Proverbs 19. We're going to be in verses 17 through 20. And I want to show you from this text three rewards. I want you to see three rewards found in this this section. The first reward is found in verse 17. There is the reward of a discerning donation. There's a reward for a discerning donation. 
In verse 18, we're going to see the reward for discerning discipline. So as parents are training their children, what does that discernment look like? And then lastly, in verses 19 through 20, we're going to see the reward of discerning discipleship. And we'll, we'll look at that. But let's first go to the first one, the first reward. And the first reward is a discerning donation. Notice what Solomon says here. He says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, first of all, notice what Solomon says here. He says, he who is generous. This word for generous means to be compassionate. It means to act graciously. It means to do something out of empathy. It means to give something to someone without asking for anything in return. That's the idea of being generous here. And so it's talking about someone who is generous. Now, I want to say this, and every time that I talk about money, especially in church behind the pulpit, I always get nervous. The reason I get nervous is because I've heard so many people stand behind pulpits in the United States and around the world and talk about giving in a way that is not biblical and is attempting to fleece the people in the congregation. I want to avoid that. I I don't want that to even be named among us. So every time I talk about generosity, I get really nervous because I don't want you to think that I'm just up here doing a salesman's pitch on you trying to get a Lewis and Clark Bible Church membership rewards card. And we have some special deals for you this morning if you sign up. And if you give an extra 10%, hey, that's going to be good. I don't want you to get that. I, I don't want you to think that, that all we care about is people giving to the church. So with that being said, it is important for believers to be known as generous. That's an important quality trait and virtue for believers, to be genuine, or to, to be genuine and to be generous. I think that's how we should be known. That's how the church has always been known, as a group of people who are very generous, giving to those who can't fend for themselves. This morning, as Greg and I were meeting at, as we prayed before the service, we talked about Man, didn't it used to be that if it was a hospital, it was started because of some Christian organization started a hospital to help those who couldn't help themselves? Or they started schools, you know, public schools were started from churches and people saying it's important that people know how to read so that they can read God's word. So churches were very heavily invested in that for those who couldn't afford to go to private schools. There was, there, there's always been this sense inside of the church of helping the less fortunate and, and, and helping them not just because it's the nice thing to do, but because it's, it's, what, it's what happens when we get close to Jesus. Jesus is incredibly generous. He's incredibly generous to us in all things. Think about this morning, all of the things that God has given to you that you didn't even ask for, and he gives freely. You woke up, and you were able to breathe air. You were able to get water. You were able to come here, right? All of those things are gifts, and Jesus is the embodiment of generosity. And as we get closer to Jesus and become more like Jesus, 
we also should be generous. Now, I will say this. We must remember discernment. Because sometimes we can be so overcome with a sense of empathy and compassion that we act foolishly and give away too much. So we must always be discerning in our generosity. This is what I mean. I've known some people that they would give you the shirt off of their back in the middle of a snowstorm. That's a great quality to have to know that somebody would give you something. But I also have known people that did give their jackets in the middle of a snowstorm to somebody who already had a jacket, and then they got cold. The idea is that we as Christians should give, yes, but never give to a point in where you impoverish yourself. God has given you resources for you to be a good steward. It is not being a good steward of your resources if you are not using them the way that God intended for you to use them responsibly to help yourself. Now, you should be generous and give, but do not give to the point where you become impoverished. If somebody tries to manipulate you and ask you to give to the point where you become impoverished, don't listen to them. That is not wisdom. God does not like that. Here's another thing that that I think sometimes we do. Sometimes we give to people beyond what their need is. So it's good to be generous, but sometimes you can give too much, and that is not necessarily the best thing. Let me give you an example. Uh, Steve Saint wrote a book called The Great Omission, and he talked about that tribe of believers that his father worked in and his mother worked in and his, his friends worked in. And, and one of the things that happened was a lot of churches were so overcome with what happened to his parents that they sent a lot of money to that, to that tribe and they sent a lot of missions trips down to that tribe and they started just doing things. They didn't ask the people what they wanted or what they needed. They started building buildings. And, and nobody went inside the buildings. And when asked, why are you not going inside these beautiful buildings? They said, well... We didn't ask for it. We don't know what to do with it. And so the sense was, it was nice that they were generous. But sometimes you can just give too much to the point where it's rude, or or you can cause people to be lazy, or it's just not the right thing. See, discernment is always acting the right way, at the right time, with the right attitude, with the right amount. So we should be generous. We should always lean being generous. But that doesn't mean that generosity always turns off the mind. It always considers all of Scripture, right? So, so whoever's generous, then notice the next part, to the poor. I imagine at the time when Solomon wrote this, it would probably have been easier to notice who were the really poor and really needy in society. I, I was thinking about today and how sometimes it's difficult to realize Sometimes, who are the really needy people and who are the people that are trying to scam you for money? This is why it always requires discernment. But let me say this. We should always be generous to those who need help, and we should always give in a sense that it's for the glory of God. If they need help, and and we we thought about it, we prayed about it, uh, we, we feel like this is what the Lord's wants us to do. We do it not out of compulsion, but voluntarily, and we do this for the glory of the Lord, right? I personally, when, I, when I'm thinking about who I give my money to, 
I, I normally ask a series of questions, questions that ask about people's spiritual life, ask about their financial position. That is smart, and that's okay. You're not being rude by asking. And a lot of times when you ask some of those just simple questions, try to get to know the story, get to know what's really happening, sometimes you can really tell when somebody is really in need and somebody really needs something or someone is trying to fleece you, as it were. We need to have discernment, but we need to be compassionate. Why is it so important that we are compassionate? Notice the next part of this verse. It says, he who is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Now, do not think that somehow by you giving somebody $20, now all of a sudden God now owes you a favor that you can cash in at any time. That is not what Solomon means here. What he means here is when you give it to the poor, it is as if you are giving it to him. The sense is you are doing it for him and for his glory. That's the idea. So we're not just talking about helping the poor just for that in among itself. It is I am helping somebody who is in need for the glory of God so that I can further share the gospel for them. They're truly in need. It's out of love. I realize that if somebody doesn't have food, they're going to die. I love them, and I don't want them to die, so I will buy them food. Sometimes being generous to people also is not just giving money. Sometimes it's giving resources. Sometimes it's just time. Sometimes it's just showing up. This is why it is always important to have discernment in the midst of giving. But also realize this, that my attitude and my reasoning for giving is also very important. I need to give to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And when I give, and I give out of the right heart, I give by using discernment, it is as if I am doing that to the Lord. I'm doing this action to the Lord out of my love for him. Now, now notice this next part, and, and here's the reward, right? And it says, and he will repay him for his deeds. Now, do not act like a health and wealth uh, person here and think, great, if I give God $100, he's, I'm going to can charge him interest, and he's going to give me back $2,000. That is wrong. If you think of God like that, of just a ledger book of who owes who more, I guarantee you this, you will never be able to repay the debt that he has given you. It is absolutely ludicrous thinking to think that this is some sort of uh, retribution theology. He returns a good deed for a good deed. Rather, look at it like this. When you live for the Lord and you're generous with your time, you're generous with your money, you're generous with your resources, God will take care of you. That's the sense of this verse. It's not that he's going to give you a check. He might, but he might not. He will take care of you. Sometimes when you're generous, it can be very scary. I don't know what's going to happen after I give this money. This second part of the verse should calm your heart saying, the, Lord, the Lord's going to take care of me. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give to people who are in need. I, I, don't, I don't need to keep all of my money. I can't take it with me anyways. I'm going to be generous. The Lord's given me these resources to use for his honor and his glory. And guess what? 
He will take care of me. He is the rewarder of those who follow him. It is always a good decision to follow the Lord. So what is the reward of a, dis- of a discerning donation? The reward is this. God will take care of you. I don't know how that will look like. I don't know what that will look like. I don't, know, I don't know all the stuff that will happen with that. But I do know this. He will take care of you. And even if it appears that he's not going to take care of you, and he may allow you to suffer something pretty serious and terrible and dangerous, that doesn't mean that he's still not taking care of you. you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you still get to go to heaven, which is a pretty big consolation prize if you're asking me. Uh, that's an incredible thing. He, he takes care of us for his namesake. And sometimes we have to experience some uh, discomfort. I, I had an opportunity to talk to those believers in India. We've been praying for them, this group of believers who... They came to know the Lord. The village says, nope, you can't live here if you're going to follow Jesus. Uh, and they said, fine, we won't live here. So they live in the jungle. And uh, Pastor Behit doesn't live near them, so he traveled to go see them. He asked me, what, what kind of things do I say to them? And I said the same thing I just said to you. The Lord will always take care of you. It's always better to follow the Lord. And even if it looks like this could be the end of your life, it's always better to follow the Lord because he will, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, end up in heaven. What's the worst they can do to you? Send you to heaven? It's always better to follow the Lord. It's always better to be generous. It's always better to be loving, to love your neighbor as you would want to be loved. It's always better to love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Now, that's the first reward. Notice the second reward in verse 19. (laughs) Notice notice what it says. Uh, Verse 18 uh, of Proverbs 19. It says, Discipline your son, for there is hope, and do not set your heart to put him to death. (laughs) That's an interesting second part of the verse, isn't it? But let's first talk about the first part, right? Discipline your son, for there is hope. This word for discipline means to admonish, to correct. It it involves teaching someone what is right and what is wrong. It has the idea of shaping someone's character and then by result their behavior, right? So it deals more with the character of a person than it necessarily does about the behavior. Uh, And so as I think about this discipline of parents and and, and children, and and I I think about what this looks like, I think it's, it's vitally important that as the parent is teaching the child what is right and what is wrong, it must start from God's word. It must be what is right and what is wrong from, from God's point of view. That, that has to be number one. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. The parent then should be able to then express the standards of the house. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. And they have to remain consistent on that. I also would say this, that the discipline would seem that any time the child violates the house rules, namely that they break God's commands. Let me give you an example. God clearly says it's wrong to steal. That should be a house rule. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what it looks like. doesn't matter what form it takes. It is always wrong to steal. doesn't matter who does it. 
there's always a punishment for somebody who steals. One kid steals another kid's toy, there's this expression, that is wrong. You then explain why it's wrong. God says you shouldn't steal. God, that's another person's property. That's not yours. God allows them to have it. You're not allowed to take what belongs to somebody else. You're not in that place. You need to then have an appropriate discipline for that child. And in that situation, there needs to be this opportunity for them to make amends with God and the party offended. And then there needs to be a statement of, I forgive you, and it's done. We move on. Right? That's what a discipline looks like. It's training, it's correcting, it, it, it gives them a healthy sense of, okay, this is right, this is wrong, but then it also gives them the sense of forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness and being forgiving. It, it, it shows the importance of repentance. It shows the importance of once something is done, it's done. Don't bring it up again. Let me give you another example. In a house the thing that should be celebrated the most is when people love the Lord and they do actions that are in conjunction with loving the Lord. And parents should celebrate that above all other achievements. It's a shame that I've heard many parents, not necessarily here, but I've heard many parents celebrate so many other things and kind of downplay loving the Lord as if loving the Lord is a secondary thing that you can do on your own time. The other thing is celebrated. This is celebrated. This is celebrated. And they're not bad things that are celebrated, but compared to loving the Lord, there's no comparison in my mind. So there needs to be this celebration. Now, now why? Why is it important for us to have discernment as we're disciplining our kids, making sure that we're following biblical standards, that we're we're trying to break the sin of the child without breaking the heart of the child, right? As, as we're disciplining our children and as grandparents are praying for those kids and as if you don't have kids, praying for those families that do have kids because it is difficult to discipline children. Why should we continue to do this as a church? Because notice the next statement. There is hope. Hope for what? Hope from who? The only hope I know comes from God. And the hope is that as I'm consistently disciplining my children... And as the other parents in this room are disciplining their children, or as your children are disciplining your grandchildren, the only hope that we have is that as we show them God's word, teach them God's word, that God would change the child's heart. That's the hope. The hope is God can always change a person's heart. If I do things biblically, expose them to Jesus Christ, expose them to the word, teach them biblical principles, the hope is that the Lord will use that in that child's life. And and that's our prayer. Our prayer is, yes, continue to be consistent, teach your children biblical principles, continue to teach them, continue to discipline them, but the real hope is that the Lord is the one who's changing the hearts. And so for you who, who don't necessarily have little kids in your, in your house, uh, just so you can learn what this is like, I'm going to send my children to your house. Amen? <laughs> I heard that amen. We're two uh, agree, it must be settled in heaven. <sighs> no, pray for us parents. It's difficult raising kids, as you know. It's difficult. today is a minefield of things that parents have to deal with with kids 
pray for us. We're not perfect. Our kids aren't going to be perfect. But pray that we are consistent. Pray that the Lord changes the hearts of the children according to God's word. And pray that we as parents are consistent in following God's law and making God's law and making the gospel and making Jesus and God the, pri- the, the priority of our families. And that as we're doing this, that we wouldn't care what our children turn out to be as long as they're dedicated followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So pray for us. Now, there's this other aspect, which is the foolish thing to do. If you do this, it's bad. Notice what it says, and it says, and do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, there are a couple different interpretations of this. I think one is only is probably best, but one, one interpretation is don't over-discipline your kid to the point of killing your kid. That's a good principle. I don't think that's what Solomon is saying, but that's a good thing, right? Paul will say that later in the book of Ephesians. Father, do not, uh, do not provoke your children to anger. It's possible to be so overbearing that you actually break the hearts of the kids. You actually ruin the kids because you're so tough on them, so hard on them. That, that's, not, that's not loving. That's not, that's not how God deals with us. We need to deal with our children as God deals with us. There's another one that says um, <laughs> that a parent is seeking capital punishment for his kid. I got to be honest with you, if that's ever happened, that's a pretty bad kid where the dad's like, kill him. That may be possible. By the way, in the Old Testament, the reason they say that, because in the Old Testament, this is a possibility. If a kid is so bad, so rebellious, the father does have the option of having his kid put to death. Most likely what is meant by this is don't be a fool in training your kid. Because if your kid continues in his foolishness, you're murdering him. You're murdering him. If you're teaching him the way of the Lord, there's hope for life. If you're not teaching him in the way of the Lord, you're killing him. Possibly physically, definitely spiritually. And I think this is probably the best. The logic here would be, I want my kid to be wise and follow Jesus, thus leading to life. The foolish parent doesn't care. And, and so how does that exhibit itself? Myriads of ways. But there's two major categories that I would say this would happen. One, in deliberate passivity towards the things of the Lord. There are parents who see their kids violating clear principles of Scripture, and they take a back seat and say, who am I to discipline my kid? I'll tell you who you are to discipline your kid. You're the parent. That's your job, to discipline them in the way of the Lord. Some people do this. That is foolishness, to just take a back seat. Others deliberately teach their children foolishness. They deliberately teach them lessons that are not found in God's word, deliberately so that they walk away from God's word. We've met parents that do both. Both of these are bad. Um, the, 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 the reward of disciplining your children according to God's word is that there's always hope when you do that. There's always hope. Now, there's this last one, and quickly go with me to verse 19, where we see the reward of discerning discipleship, meaning we all should be in a situation where we are learning from believers who are more mature than us, and we should be helping believers who are 
less mature than us. So every believer should be in this kind of state of, if you've been a believer for a, for a period of time and you know the faith, you know the basic doctrines, you should be helping somebody who's not there, and you should be looking to somebody who you think is following the Lord and who is spiritually mature, right? And, and, and this is speaking not of that training, but this is speaking of the person that you are being discipled by. Now, he's going to give first a bad example of someone who does not listen, and then he'll give then a good example of someone who does listen. So notice the example of somebody who does not listen. So notice in verse 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. If you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. So the idea is that a person who is pugnacious, who has a violent temper, will always get himself in trouble. And the idea of a penalty here is that he's getting himself in trouble with the law, right? He's breaking the law. He, he, probably is do, he probably damaged someone's property or hit someone, right? And, and so, so then, then Solomon says, look, and if you deliver him, literally, if you post bail for him, if you post bail for this one, Solomon says, look, you'll only have to do it again. The, the idea is he's not learning. He's not learning. He, he still is a person of great wrath. If he was wise, he would have gotten into this trouble one time and says, I ain't doing this again. He would no longer be a person of great wrath. He would be a person of wisdom, right? So you'd only have to do it once. Solomon is saying, no, this person is foolish. They are, they're not listening. They're not listening to your advice. They're not listening to the consequences. Those consequences are there to show them, don't do this again. And guess what? They're going to do it again and again and again and again and again. This person is foolish and they're not listening to God's law. That's the sense. You could almost add... But you, right, and for the next verse, in verse 20, he says, listen to advice, accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. So the one person is constantly wrathful, pugnacious, doesn't listen, and is foolish. When he hits the consequences, he doesn't learn from them, he just does it over and over again. We should desire to be wise, Desiring to be wise means that we listen to advice. The question is, what advice do we listen to? The word. The advice that God gives us. The advice from biblical people who have studied God's word and have correct theology, who talk about the Bible in a correct way. That, that's who we should listen to, right? We should listen to wise people, people who are discerning. It starts here from the word, so we should listen to the advice of the word. Right, And so here the word listen starts off, and, and it's not just hear with your ear. Remember, we, we've seen this word a couple times in the book of Proverbs. This is not just listen, not just hear it. Like don't, it's not just play an audio Bible and you're good. The, the idea is listen with the intent of observing. Listen with the intent of following. And notice what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to listen to advice counsel. What is advice and what is counsel? That is the practical application of God's wisdom. That's what counsel is. That's what advice is. That's what he means here. So it's, I should listen 
to the practical advice, the, the, the application of God's wisdom in this particular situation. When I go to people and say, what do you think? And they give me biblical advice, I should listen to that. When God gives me biblical advice from his word as I'm studying it, I should listen, right? I should be quick to listen. Listen to the, to the, to the sense of that I want to obey it. And then notice the next word, and accept instruction. This word accept, oh man, it means to approve. It means apply to oneself. It means to take and to own. So I'm listening with the intent of how do I do this? That's number one. Then I take the wisdom. I say this applies to my life and I take that instruction and, and I, I claim it like my own. This is a sense of, uh, this is a sense of conviction. And I'm listening to instruction. I'm listening to the times where the Lord rebukes me of my sin and he corrects me and and trains me in righteousness. Notice, notice the reward when one does this. Says that you may gain wisdom in the future. The idea is, is that if you listen to God's word, you take it to heart, you build it in part of your life, it becomes part of your convictions, you receive it, the only consequence will be wisdom and discernment. So what's the reward of listening to advice? Discernment. Having the discernment to listening to discerning advice will lead to further discernment, will lead to the way of living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the rewards. The reward is when, I'm, when I give, I'm serving the Lord, right? Right? When, when I discipline my children, there's hope in the Lord. When, 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 I, when I'm discipled, there's, I'm gaining wisdom from the Lord so that I can be wise and I can live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. As I said in the beginning, I, I think a lot of Christians have a really bad idea of the sense of reward in their life. And um, I think a lot of Christians do a lot of things that they do not because they love Jesus, because they're going to get something from it. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody joke. I've probably made this joke one a couple times where somebody did something and I said, hey, I was supposed to do that. Don't go stealing my crown. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Don't go stealing my crown. We joke when we say that. But there's some people who actually believe that type of stuff, that type of theology. I do the things for the perks. I don't think that's what Solomon is saying. I don't think that's the right motivation. I do it because I get good things. We do what we do because first, Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. The Spirit worked on our heart to believe that message. As the Spirit's inside of us, he's making us more like Christ. And with that, the, the overarching principle is I'm loving God. I love God. I do this out of love for him. That's why I'm doing this. I can't help but think that's kind of Solomon's motivation here. I do these things not because of the perks, but because I love God. By consequence, though, these things do bring about perks, rewards. Awesome. Amen. Isn't that great that there's also rewards along with this? And as I said in the beginning, I don't think that this is, that we should take this lightly because there are times where I want to do something that's foolish, Right? My flesh wants to do something that's foolish. And I remember some of these perks that we've learned in Proverbs, and I go, 
you know what? It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Look at the devastation of this and look at the reward of this. And the Lord uses those things in the midst of temptation. I'm not doing it for the perk, but the perk helps me in the midst of the the temptation. And so my advice would be, love the Lord. Show discernment in these areas. We should be known as people who are very generous. And I think, I hope we are. I hope we are. I, I consider this church very generous. And I hope that's how we're seen. And we should continue to be more generous with discernment. We should continue to show discipline or show discernment in disciplining our children. Hopefully that's something that we're known for as well. There's always room to grow. Hopefully we are showing that we were listening to people who are teaching us. We're listening to God's word and we're listening to the advice of God's word and that we're each day showing more and more wisdom. That that's the advice. Show discernment and, and, and act in those ways. See the discernment. Rely upon God's word and the, and the power of his spirit. At this time, I'm going to